welcome to the Tomes and Tropes podcast, where books and friendships collide. I'm Becca. And I'm Carrie. And we're two friends who love to talk about books. Today, we are talking about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, part one. As always, we have a content warning at the beginning of each podcast. Um, This is both for the books that we cover and for this podcast episode itself. This book is classified as an adult book with an age rating of 17 plus. In spite of this classification, we are going to do our best to keep the adult content to a minimum and we will give warning before it approaches. So spoilers, we will not be spoiling any future chapters in this book other than the ones we are covering in this episode. As a reminder, today we are discussing part one of the book. If you have not finished part one of the book, Go finish reading it. We will be here when you're done. All right. So because we are starting a new book, we are going to do a quick book overview of some information about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. So The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue was written by V.E. Schwab. V.E. Schwab is a New York Times bestselling author of over 20 books at the time of this recording. The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue was published in 2020 and is a historical fiction, historical fantasy book. It has seven parts, each with three to 16 chapters and spans about 300 to 400 years from the 1700s to the 2000s as it follows Addie LaRue's life. As of the end of part one, we have been in multiple settings so far, including the French countryside in New York City, and I do anticipate that there are going to be more settings as well. Part one consists of 17 chapters. Each part seems to have its own chapters, and they are different numbers in each part, but we'll keep you updated with each part and how many chapters it has as we go through. For sure. So now it's time for our one-sentence summaries, where we summarize each chapter we are going over in this episode in one sentence. In this episode, we are talking about part one of Addie LaRue, and all of these one-sentence summaries are from part one. As an added note here, because of the nature of this book, at the beginning of each one-sentence summary, we are going to say both the chapter and the setting that we are in, as well as the year. So keep an ear out for the setting update and the year update at the beginning of each chapter. Okay, part one, chapter one, New York City, 2014. Addie, masquerading as Jess, wakes up in Toby's apartment hoping that today is the day, and stalls leaving by playing the piano, but ends up leaving in dismay because even though she remembers, he doesn't. Chapter 2, New York City, 2014. Adeline's birthday arrives. She feels like celebrating even though birthdays don't mean as much anymore. But as she changes into a celebratory new outfit, the ash gray wood ring falls out and she leaves it there. Chapter 3, France, 1698. Seven-year-old Adeline leaves Villain for the first time with her father to go to a neighboring town where she experiences new people and returns a different person but still holds on to the ring. Chapter 4, France, 1703. Estelle teaches Adeline about the greedy gods that she prays to, prays to, and Adeline learns you always have to sacrifice a gift to them that is special to you. Chapter 5. France, 1707. 
16-year-old Adeline is dodging courtship like crazy while daydreaming about her secret man with dark hair and green eyes while the important people call her a dreamer, scornfully, mournfully, and warningly. Ooh. (laughs) Chapter 6, New York City, 2014. We meet Fred, who sells his wife's old books, who says he sits outside every day so that if he dies, he would be found. Chapter 7, New York City, 2014. Adeline visits Mel and Maggie at Rise and Shine and then walks to the park where she regretfully realizes the book she picked up was a German version of Grimm's Fairy Tales. Chapter 8, France, 1714. Adeline is forced to marry a widower with three children, but before the marriage can happen, she escapes to the forest and prays to the gods, any god that will hear her. Chapter 9, France, 1714. We are introduced to the god who answers after dark, and Adeline strikes a deal, but she doesn't realize the gravity of what she gave up. Chapter 10, France, 1714. Adeline now knows she has made a terrible mistake by striking up a deal with this god when Estelle and her own parents do not recognize her and claim that they do not even have a daughter. Chapter 11, New York City, 2014. Addie visits the movies, her favorite invention so far, and then works her way towards the alleyway where she dreams meeting Toby again, but decides the rise isn't worth the fall. Chapter 12, New York City, 2014. In James' apartment, Adeline reminisces on how they met and how she wishes she could have a place of her own. But of course she cannot, because everything disappears except her ring, which she throws off the balcony. Chapter 13, France, 1714. Isabel wakes Adeline up in the morning and offers her some shelter, but heartbreakingly forgets Adeline right after she walks out the door, and Adeline decides she can no longer stay in villain and starts traveling. Chapter 14, France, 1714. Adeline is beginning to learn the rules of this deal and decides that even though she is not able to tell her story, she will never forget Addie LaRue. Chapter 15, New York City, 2014. Without James, the apartment feels too empty, so Addie roams around and finds herself at the Met looking at the bird sculpture, Revenir, which means to come back. Chapter 16, France, 1714. After getting caught as a thief by a few men, she hides away and notices the men forget her and the injuries she inflicted on them disappear. Then later she sees her own injuries fade away so that she is able to continue to live. Chapter 17, New York City, 2014. Addie visits a new local bookstore and attempts to steal a book when Henry, who looks like her secret man, remembers her longer than anyone has before and catches her in the act. Wow. (laughs) Even, like, saying that, I got, like, chills again. Uh, Anytime Henry comes up, I'm like, (laughs) woohoo! We love Henry. Already. We've only known him for 30 seconds, but (laughs) we love him! (laughs) Okay, so now we're going to move on to our initial thoughts and reactions for part one. Carrie, what did you think? So I loved part one, obviously. Um, Who wouldn't? My first initial impressions were that it reminded me of the movie Age of Adeline, like Mm. starring uh, Blake Lively, which is one of my favorite comfort movies. Love that. I mean, it's the same name of a girl who lives forever, basically. So I, it's like similar concepts, but very different stories. So yeah, immediately I was like, I love this. So 
to be frank, I didn't love the first few chapters. I was kind of confused, which is, I think is in part due to the timeline jumps, and I just had to get used to it. Mm. And once I got used to it, it was like much better. But with that being said, I do really enjoy seeing her character growth and progression with the time jumps without us having to even stay in one singular time period, especially since we know there are 300 years between them, at least. So I'm very intrigued to learn more about Toby and especially intrigued about Henry, who we met in Chapter 17 in New York City in 2014. So we could talk about Henry all day. But I also wanted to point out how Schwab has written this so far. I feel like I can see what Addie sees, feel what she feels, and I can just imagine the scenes very vividly, especially because we do get a lot in New York City, which I love. Back Can I just say, I <laughs> love that we are in New York City. Uh, it rem- we recently went on a girl's trip to New York City, so it's very fresh. We love very New York City. <laughs> so, Becca, what were your initial thoughts, reactions for part one? I was hooked from the beginning of this book. <laughs> I was so intrigued, even from that first page. I think it's called an epigraph, but I'm not 100% sure. It just kept, and it just kept going. Like, I I still was hooked throughout the whole part one. <laughs> I do my outlines part by part. So as I was reading this part, so I read this part and then come back and do the outline. And then once the outline's done, I've read, I read the next part. And this book was so hard for me to do that because we met Henry and he remembered and I was like, ah, well, what happens now? So (laughs) I did love that, that I just like kept wanting to read. Mm -hmm. I do like Addie so far as the main character. She's smart and witty and wanted more than the life she had to offer in the little town in France, right? And she's Mm -hmm. been facing the consequences of her bad decision, you know, that bad deal for 300 years. But she, but it was because she wanted that new life. Mm-hmm. I also really liked the timeline jumps in this book. I did feel like I needed to get used to it a little bit, but I enjoyed it because I it made the story not feel as linear, and it that was a fun feeling for me. We will be doing a comprehensive timeline revisit in each episode of the major events for each part as well as the parts previous to that. So hopefully that'll help us stay a little bit on track and help us move through the book and not be too confused. But I don't feel like I'm too confused yet. But again, we've only (laughs) read part one. So (laughs) I am sad, though, that it feels we won't get much more of Estelle. And yeah. I, she just seems like the the crazy grandma, or <laughs> you know, in Moana, the uh, grandmother. I yes. feel like that's who she is, and I do love that we get the little pieces. Like I, I'm pretty sure Fred is described as stubborn, like Estelle. There are other characters that are little nods to her and her personality, but I'm gonna miss her, and Me I'm. Too. I am going to miss Isabel, too, I think. You know, we, we didn't get too much of her, but she she was just content with her life, and I, I love that. 
I do like, though, like I said, even in like this current timeline that we are getting little nods to Estelle with the people she's meeting now and the people we're meeting and having like little little nods back to her. So, yeah, I do like that a lot. I love the Moana connection because I was literally thinking about that when you started talking. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Moana's grandma. Yeah, it's I mean, I was trying to think of a good character like to reference for her and that just popped right out to me Mm, well done all right so now we are in our meet cutes section so this is where we look at most of the the, of some of the most notable characters we get to meet in part one this isn't all of them because that would take too long and you kind of get the gist but if you want to talk more about these characters too just yeah we love them The first one, obviously, we have our protagonist, who is Adeline LaRue. Her nickname is Addie, so you'll probably hear us switch back and forth as it happens in the book. Addie is originally from France. Her father is a woodworker, and Addie loves art. She's independent. She's strong. She longs for freedom, and she's really good at stealing things. (laughs) So our amazing protagonist is Addie LaRue, who I can't wait to meet and to get to know more. So really excited to get to know her better. Next, we have Estelle. The people in Adeline's village think she is the village crazy lady or that she is just plain wicked. She knows a lot about both the old and new gods and prays to the old ones, unlike most others in the village. Adeline has looked up to her and considered her a confidant and friend when she was growing up. We just love Estelle. I'm including Toby. We only met him in like the first two chapters and we we get a daydream with her but toby we refer to him as the boy sometimes we don't know too much about toby but i have a feeling we will eventually he has all the same features of the stranger she has drawn since she was a girl and is a musician i really hope we'll learn more about him i feel like he's important so i Wanted to point that out since you pointed that out that he's referenced as the boy and Addie is referenced as the girl in that chapter. So they don't Schwab doesn't really use their names too much in those chapters. It's really the boy or the girl. And I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure the opening line there is the girl wakes up in a bed that isn't hers or something like that. And I'm very interested to see maybe if that comes back in relation to other people because Mm -hmm. I felt like that was very intentional and I'm curious if maybe that's related to if she's around people that have forgotten her. Mm. So like she was the girl, they were the girl and the boy until she was reintroduced to Toby because remember he forgot when he woke up so i'm very interested to see if that comes back that's a great take i did not catch that at all well done well done you're catching all the things i love it (laughs) (laughs) all right so next we haven't really met james but we get to know him through Addie. so james st Clair, he is just our lovable gay best friend the one we all need so he is very rich. He's an actor. Addie knows they would be best friends if only he remembered her. And I just think that's so sad. She often stays in his apartment, though. So good for her. This, I guess it's like a really nice bed. He's got robes, bath. Love it. The life of luxury. Uh, I want to stay in James' apartment. <laughs> Same. 
<laughs> All right. And then finally, we have Henry. <sighs> Henry. I can't wait to know more about him. So we know he's going to be important, obviously, since he's the first one that has actually remembered her the longest that we've seen so far. Um, but I already love him, and this could partly be because he works at the bookstore, and I love bookstores. I just imagine, like, all the New York City bookstores, like, you and I have, like, looked yes. at and been to, like, 10 out of 10. I could just see the scene in my mind. Yes. And we know he looks almost exactly, if not exactly, like him, quotes him. Mm -hmm. who's the the man that she's been drawing since she was young so <laughs> interesting <laughs> he also has a cat so 10 out of 10 <laughs> we love cat lovers i don't know if it's the bookstore cat or his cat but doesn't matter the cat is there that's and right. yeah so he also has glasses i don't know why that's important i just felt that was important so we could get a better visual of him and then he lets her go when she has stolen none other than the Odyssey in Greek, which is interesting because she stole the Odyssey, I believe. Was it the Odyssey or the, the Grimm's Fairy Tales from Fred? The Grimm's Fairy Tales. Oh, I was hoping it would be the same. It's like connections. If not, <laughs> that's fine. But those are our meet cutes for part one. I love it. I am going to throw one in here. We're oh, going to ad-lib a little bit. Let's do it. I think that the darkness, and I think that's what we're going to call him, is the darkness, mm -hmm. should also be a meet-cute. I had full body chills reading the chapter where he comes out and he's like what do you want and like the <laughs> like the slinky snake like shadowy figure right full body chills i also we're gonna throw it back to finnick because finnick <laughs> we are a finnick loving yes. podcast over here <laughs> so he the darkness says when she's looking for the trinket in hands over the trinket he's like i don't this is petty. Like, what are you doing? I don't deal with trinkets. I I deal with souls. Or I forgot exactly the line that he says, but I had an immediate throwback to Finnick when he's like, I haven't dealt in anything as common as money in years. I deal in secrets. And uh, I was like, this is Finnick. I love this. So I'm very interested to see more about the darkness. Mm. I'm also... It's also very interesting to me that it feels like he was present in Addie's life long before she started, quote, praying to him, right? When she was drawing her secret man, she would have, quote, conversations with the secret man going back and forth. And it's italicized, which is the same way the darkness mm -hmm. speaks to her after the fact. So... Oh I'm very gosh. interested to know kind of what that relationship is going to turn into because I think I think that will be very interesting. My mind is literally blown. I am you're you're telling me so much I miss. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I get so when I read I get like so into the story that I miss all the cool details. Hmm. 
So this is why this is another great reason to have the podcast. I was going to say this is this is the benefit of us because we we both have such different perspectives on things. Mm-hmm. So my brain is always trying to figure out what the end of the story is going to be. Yes. Also with the darkness, he reminded me a lot. I haven't read the Shadow and the Bone series, but it reminded me a lot of my boy Ben Barnes. Yes. Like I think even the description kind of reminds me of him. Yes. But if there's ever an Addie LaRue movie, I request Ben Barnes to play Darkness, please. Ben Barnes. So here's a question. If that happens, would the same person who plays the Darkness also play Henry? Yes. I would want that. I would want Ben Barnes in every scene. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, but like, I think... It would be like an altered version. So like maybe Darkness would have a beard and then Henry wouldn't. Something like that. It's almost like the Clark Kent Superman difference. Exactly. So like Henry would have the glasses, but Darkness wouldn't. I don't know. I love that. Would you play Darkness? Please, please, Ben Barnes. (laughs) All right. Now that we're done with that little segment (laughs) we are moving on to our quotables as a reminder these are notable parts or quotes that we think are either important or things we just want to talk about because we got to talk about something Mm -hmm. we do these in chronological order so we're going to start from part one chapter one go to the end of part one chapter 17 they're gonna be in chronological order in the book not necessarily timeline order and we're just gonna talk through them and have some fun Mm -hmm. our first quotable is chapter is from chapter one it is what is a person if not the marks they leave behind The first time I read this, I stopped reading and, like, took a second and thought about this very intentionally because it's true. Like, if you think about it at our base, at our core, right, we are born and then we die. And every single person, we may not have the same journey, but it has the same beginning and it has the same end. So the marks someone leave behind are actually what that person embodies and what keeps them alive maybe after they die it's those memories so obviously like marks you can leave behind very like very realistically are like dna or destruction so i think of when you're walking in the woods and you break a tree branch or you bump into the corner of a piece of furniture and it crumbles a little bit I think of my dog Friday leaving tumbleweeds of hair everywhere that I have to continually (laughs) vacuum up, right? Like, there are very clear, there are very clear pieces of evidence that a being has been somewhere. Mm -hmm. And Addie doesn't have that. I heard one time that one of the most important things you can leave behind is how somebody feels after you leave, right? So, for example, if 
I leave a situation, like I want somebody to feel supported. I don't necessarily want them to feel like I hated their guts or that they were less than or they like I talked down to them. Like I want them to feel supported and cared for when they leave my presence. I have Mm -hmm. friends who when I leave, I just leave feeling so refreshed and so full and their presence is so recharging to me that that's the mark that they leave behind on my life. And I have other friends who are extremely draining. I can only be around them for like an hour before I'm like, all right, I got to go. Like (laughs) my cup is empty at this point. But Addie can't leave any of that behind. She doesn't really leave DNA behind. She can't because every time she like it references, she's tried to write her name in blood and it disappears. She can't leave a personal mark because nobody remembers her so she Mm -hmm. can't leave like those personal like she can't recharge somebody or she can't drain anybody but I do love that she's gotten around that fine print and is able to leave ideas right so we see that in Toby's song that she's been writing him for a long time writing with him for a long time we see that specifically with Toby, like the flowers that he leaves on the sill, right? Mm-hmm. So she can leave ideas. But I have a question. I have two questions actually. Ooh. So one, when she's at James's apartment, if she because she drinks, I think she drinks champagne and she has a little snack while she's there. Mm-hmm. Is that just like gone? Or is that does it like magically refill? Or Mm -hmm. is that, like, part of the successful theft that because nobody knows it's her, it's not really a mark, it's a lack of a mark? Interesting. I'm not sure. Because I think about the bread when she took that. Did they notice it was gone? I I wonder if it's kind of like when she changes out of her clothes and leaves them there, and then the, like, worker is, like, I don't know where these clothes came from type of thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's something like that. Like when she drinks and eats at like James apartment, it could be just like, oh, I must have left this open or I already ate this instead of like, oh, someone stole from me. (laughs) Cause that'd be concerning. I feel like James would be like, what the heck? Where did my drink go? Where'd my champagne or whatever go? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's probably right probably that successful theft Mm. um secondly carrie secondly oh so we're talking about marks that we leave behind i already talked about mine Mm -hmm. i'd love to know what mark you hope to leave behind this is a hard question i think similar to yours like supported but Mm -hmm. mine would be like listened to like I want everyone to know like I've been listening to them like their their words are meaningful and like what they're saying and feeling matters I think you are so good at that oh thank you that's That's, so nice (laughs) that's so funny because that's like there are times where I'm texting you and you'll ask me a question like how is like how's your mom doing? Because I told you I was, she was sick like two weeks ago. Like, (laughs) and you just remember and like, listen, like you're so good at that. 
I, I try. It's, I have really bad short-term memory, so if I ever forget, it's not because I wasn't listening. And maybe that's why I would like like that, because I'd like to leave my mark like that, because I know I have bad short-term memory. So if I remember, I'm like, ooh, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that would be a really cool mark. Cool. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so our next quotable is also from chapter one. It says, it's amazing what you can learn when you have the time. And this was so intriguing to me. And I thought about this for probably an hour because Addie is in such an interesting situation with learning things. So I was trying to think about what I would learn if I had the time. And then I was thinking about Addie and her situation and realized that she's really limited in what she can and can't learn. For example, like she couldn't become a doctor because she couldn't enroll in medical school because she can't write her name. She People don't remember her. Like she can't learn that skill. She obviously can learn the piano. That's where this quote specifically comes from is when Toby says, you're really good at that. And she's like, thanks. And in her mind, she's like, it's amazing what you can learn when you have the time. <laughs> she has learned so many languages. We get that. She can. She knows French. She knows Greek. She knows German, I believe. Mm -hmm. She knows English, obviously. But we do. She, she does have so many languages. I imagine we'll probably get more. She can't really learn technology very well. So, for example, like, if she had her own computer, she would have an IP address that would be registered to her, and she can't do that. She can't have a phone because then she would have a phone number. So she mm -hmm. can't do that. Now, she could use one at, like, a school, but then she'd have to be able to get into the computer lab, and I'm not sure how mm -hmm. that would go. She could learn at a library, and maybe that's what she does, but even then, like, she wouldn't have an IP address there, but even then, your activity online is always going to be tracked anyways, so. And I think at the library, you have to have a library card to, like, use the computer. That's true. I didn't even think about that. But you have to have an address and, like. A phone number, usually an email. Yeah. So she that's could true. probably only like not even check out books. She could probably just like sit and read. That's interesting. That is interesting. She can't learn like calligraphy because oh. she can't write. That's so so I have, Carrie, I have another couple questions oh. for you. <laughs> So, do you think that she could learn to cook and bake? Uh, she could probably learn the skills, but I don't know how. Wait, does that mean she doesn't have any dirty dishes? That might be the best hack. Adi LaRue. The one who doesn't have to do dishes. 10 out of 10. Amazing. Well, she can make tea, so I imagine she could cook and bake. That's true. I so, don't know if it would last, though. Like, I don't know if, like, as soon as someone forgets, it probably all disappears. Well, 
this one specifically came from when she left a muffin on Fred's table because she went and bought the muffin at Rise and Shine with Mel and Maggie and she left the chocolate chip muffin on his table because his his wife wouldn't let him eat sweets. <laughs> so my thought is if she bakes something and leaves it, is that a mark? Right? Pro- probably. But she's allowed to leave Fred things. Maybe because, like, it's not, it could be, like, anyone who leaves it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where I'm where I'm at is like if she just accidentally leaves the muffins somewhere is that a lack of a, is that enough of a lack of a mark for her to to be able to do that? I don't know. Hopefully we'll find out more. Yeah. I can see those examples throughout the book. Yeah. Mm. Okay, number 2. Do you think she could learn to be a dog trainer? <laughs> I don't think so, because that would be a lasting impact on the dog. Yeah, I would agree. Mm. Although, I'm going to argue that that is not the reason. Oh? Because she can still leave ideas. So, like, the idea of sit. Like, Friday will sit for anybody. Mm. It doesn't really matter who taught her. I taught her, but it doesn't really matter who (laughs) taught her. (laughs) I taught her, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's interesting. Number three, do you think she could learn to be a lawyer? Probably. I'm going to argue yes to this one. Mostly because of suits. (laughs) have you watched suits no but my husband has and in return i've seen enough of it to know okay so we have this mike ross character who didn't go to harvard but is still a lawyer so i think you can get around the system a little bit and being a lawyer half the time is knowing how to apply the law right and if you know the law well then i think you could be a lawyer now can she practice law? Probably not. But I think she could learn to be a lawyer. Yeah. I agree. She definitely couldn't practice it, though. Yeah. Like, Mike Ross probably shouldn't be practicing law. Probably not. That's He's okay. good at it. It's true. My next quotable is going to be from Chapter 4. It is a direct quote. It says, if you insist on calling them, take heed. Be careful what you ask for. Be willing to pay the price. And then later on the quote, she says, this is Estelle. And no matter how desperate or dire, never pray to the gods that answer after dark. So obviously this is big foreshadowing, like big warning from Estelle. Um, But Addie definitely didn't listen. So get it together, Addie. That's okay. We wouldn't have a book without it. Estelle kind of feels like a character, though, that you only really listen to half the things that she comes out of that comes out of her mouth. So while, yes, I agree, Addie should have listened to this piece of advice. (laughs) Addie, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily would have listened to this advice if I were in Addie's shoes. Interesting. I'm a big rule follower, so I would have been like, yes, ma'am. 
I would not. I won't talk to any gods after dark. Okay, but if you were, if Addie was a rule follower, she probably wouldn't be talking to Estelle anyways. That's probably true. I'm definitely more of an Isabel type character. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely related to her. I like I traveling, that. but I am also content. <laughs> I love that. Love it. All right, so my next quotable is from chapter five. I honestly just found this line kind of funny and just wanted to point it out because it made me laugh in a terrible kind of way. But it is, quote, when Arnaud Toll, I probably said that wrong, made his intentions clear last fall, Adeline prayed that he would find another girl. He did not, but that winter he took ill and died. And Adeline felt terrible for her relief, even as she fed more trinkets to the stream. <laughs> like Adeline this kind of reminds me of um when Mr. Collins proposes to Lizzie in Pride and Prejudice and she's just like <laughs> I will not marry you I just That's this so poor funny. guy she's like praying to the gods that she will not like be able to marry him that he would find another girl turns out he just died like poor dude <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, dude. Anyways, next is from chapter six. It is a direct quote again. And it says, Addie has had 300 years to practice her father's art, to whittle herself down to a few essential truths, to learn the things she cannot do without. Um, And then she goes on to talk about what she really cannot live without, which is like food, heat, life without art. And then ends with what she needs are stories. So this is so interesting because her story will never be able to be told because anything she does to be remembered for no longer exists, which is so sad. And she's always forgotten. So her story will never exist. So it's so interesting. I think this points back to like the truth of like how it's always the things we cannot have that we always want Mm. or that we need. So she needs stories, but she can't even have her own, which is very interesting. Also, if you remember in chapter three, she talks about how when her dad speaks, he tells stories, all the stories that he has gathered over the years. But she doesn't remember the stories. She remembers how he tells them. So I, I thought that was... Oh. I wonder if like as she grew older, she realized that she needed those stories, but wasn't able to remember them and then she also really likes books so movies there are a couple times in the book that it's referenced that her mind is a steel trap or she can't really forget i wonder if that's part of the deal that she made is that she can she she can't forget even though she's been forgotten i wonder if that's part of it because it's referenced when she picks up the german the grimm's fairy tales in german that she it's in a part of her mind that needs to be dusted off but she can still remember it very clearly Mm. but i wonder if part of that is at it's at the time of the deal and after it's not before yeah you know what i mean yeah that's a good thought Our next quotable is from chapter eight. It says, she said no and learned how much the word was worth. 
this like shook me to my Mm. core it's when she when they were talking about her marrying Roger I believe Mm -hmm. and how she didn't want to marry him and she said no but she learned like it didn't really matter like what she wanted and I feel like this was such a pointed quote to (laughs) me (laughs) specifically because I feel like we are getting better as a society in understanding that no is a complete sentence. No is an answer. You don't have to explain yourself, but the word no is a fully complete sentence. I have to remind myself of that all the time. I have to remind myself that I don't have to provide an explanation or a solution. I can just say no and mm. that's okay. But It's something that I have to constantly work on with myself and accept myself because I like for people to know my thought process and I like for people to understand why I'm saying things, but it doesn't always have to be that way. And not everybody is always going to appreciate the thought process you're going through, right? And I think this, in this instance, that's exactly what's happening is she said no and she tried to explain it multiple times, but it didn't really matter because the people she was talking to didn't appreciate what she was saying. So I don't know, a little nod to society there, I guess, but I, (laughs) it was, I saw this and I was like, ah, totally understand. The next quotable is from chapter 12. She is in James' apartment on the balcony and she's looking at the ring and is tracing the curve. And she thinks here, quote, Resist the urge to slip the band onto her finger. She has thought of it, of course, in darker moments, tired moments, but she will not be the one to break. So there's two things I wanted to point out about this. The first one, our girl is strong. Like, she is so willed. And she, like, if I were not able to create a community, like a family, have friends or anything to be remembered by... I would not have this much will. Like, she is so strong. Like, strong-minded. Like, just so strong. So, love that we get to see that part of her. Secondly, I really want to talk about this with you, Becca, because I was, like, really searching. I feel like I missed something. So, we know that no matter what, the ring always comes back to her somehow. Mm. Do we know yet what happens if she puts on the ring? So that's really funny, and I almost put this in a quotable, but the first time that the ring comes back to her and she feels it in her pocket again, I got, like, full body chills again because I was like, ooh, like, this is such an important piece. I don't think we know what happens to the ring, but I think we can theorize that her putting the ring on probably means the that she is ready to be done with her life and the darkness gets her soul. Mm, okay that's what I was thinking yeah because I just don't know he doesn't deal with trinkets but yet that's the thing that like would potentially end her life and then the darkness takes over so I don't know interesting something to keep in mind yes for sure All right, the last quotable we have today is from chapter 15, and it says, My name is Addie LaRue, she thinks to herself as she walks, 300 years later, and some part of her is still afraid of forgetting. 
we get this a couple times in this book. I don't remember if this is the first one or not, but she constantly says, my name is Addie LaRue or my name is Adeline or whatever, whatever it is. But this is a technique known as grounding, I believe. It may be something else, but I'm 99% sure this is grounding. <laughs> that sounds right. So I, we're going to get a little vulnerable, vulnerable here. I have a phobia of thunderstorms, also known as astrophobia. And in therapy, that's something that I am working on is grounding in my truths and what I know to be true. So when I feel anxious or stressed, I go through and list those things out. So for example, like I know that hearing thunder will not actually hurt me because the thunder is not the dangerous part. It's actually the lightning or the wind. Mm. Another thing is nothing I can do will actually change if I get struck by lightning or not. So I I mean, yes, I can be inside, but if I'm inside, like there's nothing I can do. Like if it's my time, it's my time, right? So that's another truth. Or mm-hmm. like I have survived all the thunderstorms I've been in so far, like constantly like reminding myself what I know to be true and like grounding myself in those truths. Mm-hmm. So I like that we see this part of Addie's journey in that she is afraid of forgetting herself. And I think this is her grounding herself in her truths. And I imagine that this is something that she has needed to do regularly because nobody else is able to like pull her out if she goes through a mental spiral, right? Like nobody else except for the darkness is going to remember her or like know her or do anything. And I think, Carrie, this goes back to what you were just saying about how strong-willed she is and how strong mentally she is, that she is able to ground herself regularly throughout these 300 years. Like, it's literally been 300 years (laughs) without anybody, like, realizing or recognizing or, like, knowing her personally. Mm -hmm. I also think that having a protagonist with some flaws allows us to relate to her better despite her living for so long, right? (laughs) She's been alive for 300 years, and especially with there being gods in this story, right? We've only met the darkness, but I imagine we may have a couple more gods that we meet throughout the rest of the book. Because there are gods in the story, having a protagonist that has flaws like this really separates her from them and allows us to relate to her in a way because she's not perfect. She's not this godlike figure. She has those flaws. Mm -hmm. So I do really like that we see this piece of her because it allows her to be more relatable than I think she would have if she didn't have to constantly remind herself who she was or what her name was or anything like that. Okay, so now for this book, we are adding a new segment to our podcast. (laughs) We love a new segment. It is called the Timeline Recap. So this section is intended to put significant events of the book in chronological order. It's not going to pull everything from each part, but it will mostly focus on the significant or what I think are significant, we think are significant events that directly affect the outcome of the story. Today is going to be pretty short. It's going to get longer as we go, but we don't have too many timelines to keep track of yet, but it will get longer as we go through the book, I'm sure. Mm. So we're going to start in 1698. Seven-year-old Addie leaves 
her village for the first time. So I think this is really important because this plants the seed for her to want to have more in her life. And I Mm -hmm. think that's an important piece of the story. We're going to move on to 1714 where Addie strikes the deal with the darkness and she learns the rule of her deal. She makes her first successful steal, which is that lack of a mark. And she gets injured the first time, but heals quickly. So we get a lot in 1714 of that time period of her learning exactly the, the rules of the deal that she made. For sure. We're going to jump ahead 300 years to March 2014 when she meets Henry for the first time. So I think this is going to be super significant. I did not throw Toby in here. I may throw Toby in here in later parts. But for right now, I think these three dates, that 1698, 1714, and that March of 2014 when she meets Henry, I think those are going to be the most significant throughout the rest of the book. I love it. Yeah, we don't even know when she met Toby yet. No, we don't. So I think once we find that out, that'll be good to include. (laughs) I love timeline recap. That's going to help me a lot. So thank you. You're welcome. So we also have another new segment. So this one is called Timeless Treasures. So we'll be chatting about the art pieces in each part of the book. If you are like me and didn't really pay attention to this detail at first, shout out to Becca for catching this. This section should be super fun. So what I'm going to do is quickly read in the first part where they talk about the art and have a little picture. We'll post the picture on social media. So be sure to watch out for that. So the title of the piece is Revenir. The artist is Arlo Murray, and I'm probably saying all of this wrong. The date was 1721 to 1722. The medium is ashwood and marble. It's on loan from the Musée d'Orsay. I apologize. I never took French. The description is a sculptural series of five wooden birds in various postures and stages of pre-flight, mounted on a narrow marble plinth. The background is a diligent autobiographer, Murray, kept journals that provide insight into the artist's mind and process. Regarding the inspiration for Revenir, Murray attributed the idea to a figurine found on the streets of Paris in the winter of 1715. The wooden bird found with a broken wing is reputedly recreated as the fifth in the sequence, albeit intact, about to take flight. And the estimated value is 175,000. I just got chills with you reading that because I didn't even catch half of that on my first read through, but I'm really interested to see what you have to say about this. So obviously, we, when you first read this, you have no idea that this is extremely important to the story. So we can see that this section, this segment of the podcast, we're going to be doing at the end of our summary because... We're going to understand why the art piece is important, which is going to be really fun if we're being honest. (laughs) So it's like putting the pieces together. So first off, um, her father makes toys that we know, wooden toys. And after she makes a deal with the darkness, she eventually makes it back to her father's workshop and steps on a wooden bird and the wing is broken. How very ironic, right? (laughs) And it was her favorite bird toy in the flock that he had. And but 
so it's what's interesting is going back and like I had to go find the bird in all the parts of the book that we read so far mm. but by the time she kneels down to like pick up the broken bird uh the bird is no longer broken so she mm. takes it with her and she keeps it as a remembrance of home it basically a companion like a security blanket type of thing like something that she knows is part of her which is interesting so in 1714 Adeline is coming to terms with her new life and the choice that she has made she says in chapter 14 of part one quote she tells the story of her life to the little carving as if afraid she'll forget herself as easily as other do others do unaware that her mind is now a flawless cage her memory a perfect trap so I think this this is excellent by Schwab. Like, well done. All the things. There's so many. We could talk about the bird and its relevantness to Addie's life for hours, but we won't. This particular piece of art is relevant to this part of the book, representing her freedom, but yet her captivity. So she's free to go wherever and do whatever now, as she's always wanted, but she's captive because nobody remembers her mm. she's not able to make an impact on the world so we think we learn that the revenir is in a museum in new york city and it's wooden plinth with five marble birds perched atop it it's modeled after the same bird that she used to keep by her side at all times so she goes to visit this pretty often i am having trouble remembering and i'll have to go back and read but do we know if she lost this somewhere yeah. yeah, so when she's going back to visit, she says, like, the fifth bird looks so much like the bird that I lost mm. so long ago. Right. So I think since the the person who made this art, Revenir, found this in Paris, I'm assuming we're going to find that she leaves it in Paris. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm assuming. But we'll see, I guess. I feel like that'll come up again in part two, hopefully. Or we're just left to assume. Yeah, but not sure. But I I love that this part of her it still exists over 300 years and now it's in a museum. So she mm -hmm. does have a legacy we're learning in this little little thing. Only she knows, but I think that that also helps her be more strong-willed. So mm. But I will end it with this. Um, which gives a huge hint to what I imagine for the other timeless treasures we'll see in the other parts of the books, but it's a piece of her story. Yeah, I love that. I'm very excited to see what other pieces potentially, like we haven't read any other parts, so mm -hmm. this is truly like we have no idea what will happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. so interesting. Okay, so our last new segment for this book is called The Sevens. There Yay. seems to be a regular occurrence of the number seven in this book, starting with the seven freckles that litter Addie's face. Because of that, I wanted to call attention to the sevens that occur throughout the book. And right now, it's funny, I have a list of six of them. <laughs> I tried to find a seventh and couldn't. So Whoa. listeners, if you have a seventh, please let me know. <laughs> but the list of sevens that we have are the seven freckles on her face. We have seven parts in the book. Estelle tells her that she is the seven freckles represent the seven loves she will have. 
it represents the seven lives she will lead and it represents the seven gods watching over her and we get all of that from Estelle pretty early on in the book we also have on the cover of the book I and I love this design the cover of the book has seven stars so you see this little like constellation on the front of the book and it is seven stars so I'm assuming that based on the seven freckles it's related to a constellation multiple times in the book that this is probably what the seven freckles on her face look like as well in this part we're introduced to one maybe two of the loves we get toby and henry i don't know yet if we know enough about toby to give him a love spot i Hmm. think we will learn more about the loves that she has i'm hoping we get all seven but we're gonna throw toby in there for right now um, and obviously Henry. I again, I don't know if Henry's going to be a love, but he's going to be a significant character, and I'm gonna give him a love spot. So she also had a supposed love in New Orleans, right? Oh, I don't remember that from the the fire, I believe, because she was talking about how she lost someone or something i believe i'll have to look it up yeah i don't remember that at all good catch i'll I'll have to find it maybe we'll get that storyline too oh i'm sure we will if they keep she keeps hinting at it and i'm like tell me more (laughs) (laughs) we do get one of the gods so we get the darkness I'm very interested to see if we're going to get more of the gods. I don't know if we're going to get more, but we do at least have one. We do have two of the lives she's going she leads so far. We have the one in France and then we have her New York City life, which are two very different ones. We will be keeping track of these sevens throughout the book or the parts that were introduced for each of these topics. So we may have more sevens that we see or we may have more parts to the seven. So, for example, mm. we may get more lovers and we'll talk about that. But we're going to keep track of those throughout the book. So keep tuning in. Yay. This is so exciting. This was a great catch, by the way. I I noticed like the seven freckles, seven loves, like all that Estelle was saying, but like the rest of it, like when you told me about the cover yesterday, I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so uh, Again, my brain is like always trying to make those connections. So I love it. Okay. So uh, we are going to move on to our favorite quotes now. Carrie, do you want to go first? Sure. So mine is from chapter six. It kind of goes along with the quotable about all the things that she needs in life so here's the quote stories are a way to preserve oneself to be remembered and to forget stories come in so many forms in charcoal and in song in paintings poems films and books i just love that quote i think that's so true like stories don't just have to be books or anything it could just be like the story in a form that matters to you or speaks to you yeah I love that it's like the difference between somebody who really likes watching movies and somebody who really likes reading books you Mm -hmm. know like it's okay to appreciate the story it's okay to appreciate how you get the story exactly so what's your favorite quote my favorite is from chapter eight apparently I loved chapter eight because we got a lot of (laughs) stuff from it it says 
It is like a gap between stones, this village, just wide enough for things to get lost. The kind of place where time slips and blurs, where a month, a year, a life can go missing, where everyone is born and buried in the same 10-meter plot. Mm. I loved this quote. I've been doing, not really doing research, but I've seen a lot recently about how one of the best things you can do to flourish in life is actually to get out of your hometown because everybody that is in your hometown like if you grow up there everybody knows you everybody knows each other everybody like you can't really grow because the people who are there remember all the bad things that you've done or all the good things right but you are this person that you are no longer that person because you grew up and you had life experiences so I loved this because it was like yeah like growing up like if you if you stay in your hometown and there's nothing wrong with staying in your hometown I don't want to don't want it to come across like that but to go out and have other life experiences outside of that if you are able and if you have the capability to do that I think is just so important to really flourish and create your own story you know create something mm-hmm. different than everybody else that you kind of know all right so we have our weekly wrecks so these are just products or items that we just love and we want to share and recommend to each other and to you all we are not sponsored by these so we no. will also have them in our link tree so you can check them out so this week, my weekly rec is super cubes. So I love these things. I am on a huge crunchy kick, for lack of a better <laughs> word. I've been making my own chicken broth. I've been making my own bone broth. I've been making tons of soup, all those mm-hmm. things. And these are great. So basically what they are is they're these silicone molds that you can put soups or broths or anything in and they freeze them in very specific portions so the ones that i have are one cup so i can freeze one cup portions of chicken broth or of i made pho broth the other day so i froze that And you can, so the like I said, the ones that I have are in one cup portions, but they also make two cup portions. Although I don't know how big they go, but I know they go down to like a tablespoon. So if you wanted to freeze like ginger shots or like garlic, mm-hmm. like tablespoons of garlic, you could do that too. I love them so much. I got, I got them like, I don't know, right before Christmas and they're my new favorite kitchen thing. So oh highly recommend i i i need that i need that for real i feel like that's easy to defrost too like you don't have to wait forever or take it out ahead of time so easy honestly last night i made dinner and i just threw like i forgot the chicken broth and i just like threw in the frozen block into like the thing that i was making and just it had to cook a little longer because it had to like defrost but it was only like 10 minutes that's so smart. I'm going to definitely buy some. Do it. You sold me. So my weekly wreck is kind of silly. So if it's an iPhone case, but here's the great part about it. I've had it for my iPhone 12, I think, and I just got a new one. And it's so they have like for all different kinds of iPhones, but they're only like 14 or $15 each case. It's kind of like the life proof case. I an, or like an otter box oh, but okay. significantly cheaper and mm. it has like 
a screen protector included, two screen protectors. Some models, they have, like, uh, your camera protector, too. So you can put that over that, which is super nice. Mm-hmm. That's my weekly recommendation. They have a lot of cute colors, like yellow, purple, blue, green, I think. So many fun co- colors. It also has, like, listeners can't see this, but Becca can. It has, like, <laughs> a, like a little sliding thing to cover your camera even though i broke it but disregard that's amazing and it protects your camera lens which is super nice 14 dollars on amazon wow gotta love it because i was a life proof and otterbox girl only and then i came across this i was like love this and you said it has a screen protector yeah two of them so if you mess up one no stress you have a second one or if you break it like i did i'm pretty hard on my phones (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's our weekly rex thank you so much for listening to us today for more content make sure to follow us on instagram and tiktok it's at tomes and tropes pod or if you have thoughts about the episode or the book email email us at tomes and tropes pod at gmail.com we'd love to hear your thoughts on anything you heard in this episode but specifically what you would learn if you had all the time in the world or if we missed any of the sevens in this part we'll see you next week stay curious keep reading and craft craft your your own own story. story bye y'all